If you have a Bible or a device, I'd invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, the passage that was just read, and we'll be there in just a moment. If you're new to Woodside, watching online, uh, we are going through a six-week teaching series through the book of 2 Timothy, and this book is about being faithful to the end, faithful to Jesus as long as you live. And it's written by Paul 2,000 years ago, near the end of his life, AD 67. He is in Mamertine prison. If you go to Italy today, just outside the Forum, there's a dungeon there. Um, And he's writing in that dungeon, just about to die, just about to be executed by Nero. And he's writing to Timothy, a younger man, probably early 30s, and he's pastoring a church in Ephesus, in what's known today as modern Turkey. And he's writing these last words, to Timothy. I'm going to ask you, if you knew your time was just about up, what are the last words you would share with those that you love? I know for me, um, you know, there would have been like, you know, hey, try to stay out of debt, and you know, all of these different things. For me, it would be stay faithful to Jesus. He's what life is all about. He is life. Stay faithful to Him. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep following Jesus. And so Paul is sharing that with Timothy, and uh, we began he, uh, a couple weeks ago in the letter, and he said, Timothy, uh, don't be ashamed of Jesus and the gospel. You're living in a culture where if you're a Christian, you're mocked. If a follower of Jesus, you're mocked. Timothy, don't be ashamed of Jesus. Timothy, don't be afraid to suffer for Jesus. Uh, there's probably going to be pushback. People know you're a Christian. Don't be ashamed and don't be afraid to suffer. And then, Timothy, don't abandon God's Word. There's going to be people trying to tweak it and do all sorts of things with it. You stay faithful to the Word. And then, as we heard last week, he continues with Timothy, be like a soldier. Uh, You're committed. You're not kind of being entangled in things that don't matter. And, Timothy, be like an athlete that there's discipline in your life. And then, Timothy, be like a farmer. Shout out to all the farmers. Timothy, be like a farmer. Be a hard worker. Okay, so you do that. And today he's going to now instruct Timothy and the church. He's going to instruct them to be faithful to Jesus by growing in their faith. 2,000 years ago, there, were a lot of, there was a lot of false teaching, a lot of lies, a lot of deception. As we look today, it's the same thing. So today we're talking about culture and lies. That's where Paul is going with this. And the the challenge for you and for me is that we would be growing in our faith, in our understanding more and more of who Jesus is and uh, what he does. Because if we're passive, if you're inactive, if you're uh, following Jesus simply means showing up to church once in a while for 75 minutes, okay, if you're inactive or passive with your faith, sooner or later you're probably going to stop going to church, you're going to believe a whole bunch of other things. So you have a responsibility to grow. Your faith will be attacked. You've got to, to grow in your faith. Um, now, before we begin, I want to just once again give you the big picture. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's how it goes. There's a God who made you, and this God loved you and came into this, this world to save you. And at the beginning of the letter, Paul alludes to that with Timothy. Timothy's facing a lot of opposition, but he reminds him, Timothy, God saved us and called us to a holy life, a life to God, not because of anything we have done, but because of his purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Timothy, and if you're a follower of Jesus, here's the reality, that God somehow before the universe was even created chose you to be his. 
Now, we have to choose God, how the two work, not sure. But when you understand that God has chosen and you're going to be with him for all eternity, when you give your life to Jesus, it's not some, hey, thumbs up, thanks a lot. It's like, what's my response? My response is, I want to reflect you, Jesus. I want to become like you, Jesus. I want to grow in my faith so that when others see me, they know I'm all about Jesus. So Paul, he's sharing with Timothy, here's, for God so loved the world, Timothy, he gave, he purchased, he bought, he sought you out, he went after you, and he saved you. You belong to him. Now, Timothy, grow in your faith. So today we're going to talk about your spiritual health and about growing to be like Jesus. So 2 Timothy chapter 14, and may God speak to each of us today. Paul uh, uh, writes, just as we read, keep reminding God's people of these things. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, Timothy is the pastor, uh, and this letter is written to him, but it's also written to the whole congregation. How do we know that? Because at the end of the letter, Paul says, grace be with you all, and the you is plural. Paul writes to churches as a whole. And so he's saying to Timothy, hey, Timothy, tell the church at Ephesus about these things. Keep reminding them about these things. So, Woodside, I want to keep reminding you of these things. What are the things? The truths about Jesus, the truths about God. Hey, Jesus died on a cross. Jesus rose again. Remember Jesus, raised from the dead. These are the truths, the doctrines of the faith. We need to be reminded again and again. And then he says, and then also, Timothy, you and teach the people to correctly handle the word of truth. Correctly handle has the idea of like a carpenter who's learning to cut a straight line. So, Timothy, open your Bible and learn to cut a straight line. You don't want to be like a carpenter who's cutting and they're offline, and that's so easy to do. You've got to learn how to do that. And in two weeks, as we move a little longer, uh, a little further in the letter, Paul's going to talk about the Word of God. And we're going to talk, maybe you're here and you're struggling, you're like, the Bible, it's just so hard and it's so challenging and I don't know what to do. We'll be talking about that. But for you, your heart's desire is that you're learning more and more of the Bible and, and how to correctly handle it. Notice, do your best has the idea of be diligent. You've got to put effort into this. Again, if you don't, if you're passive in your faith, the word of truth is not going to be put into you. You need to be, do your best. And to present yourself as God is one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. The, the idea here is that you're working at this so that you're not ashamed, you're not lazy, but you're saying, God, I want to please you. Now, what is the word of truth? The word of truth is the word of Christ. It's God's word. It's the truths. And the word to put them into our hearts. Now, can we stop for a moment and just ask, is that really true? That the Bible is the word of truth? Because in our culture today, we hear you can't really know the truth, or there is no absolute truth. It's just your truth and my truth. Okay, This is where if you're not yet a Christian, you have to decide if Jesus is who he says he is, or he isn't. Jesus claimed to be the truth. He said, I am truth. And truth is any statement, any idea, any belief that lines up with reality. If it doesn't line up with reality, it's false. It's error. Jesus claimed to be 
the truth, but he also claimed to be the I am. When God reveals himself uh, in the Old Testament to the people, he says, I am. I'm the self-existent one. Jesus comes along later and says, I am. Jesus is God who created all things, who came to this world and wrapped himself in a body like ours so he could die on a cross for us. So when Jesus says, I am, he's claiming to be the ultimate reality. So that's why he could say, I'm the truth, because truth is that which conforms to reality. So in other words, Jesus said, if you want to know truth, it's me, it's a person, but it's my word as well. Now, if I say um, something like this, uh, I'm going to go to the CN Tower later today, and uh, I'm going to go to the top, and then I'm going to jump off. And I'm going to land on my tiptoes, and I'm going to marvel you at how my body, there's going to be no impact. I will just land on my tiptoes. Okay? That can be my truth, but if I go and do that, that's not going to be the reality. It doesn't line up with reality. So I can have my truth. I believe this about heaven. I believe this about God. I could believe, you know, here's what happens. Here's what I think life is about. I can believe all those things. That's my truth. But if it doesn't align with reality, then it's not truth. It's error. It's deception. It's false. And so Jesus says, I'm the truth, and my word is truth, that it lines with reality. So without putting the word of truth and correctly handling it, putting it into your life, you're defenseless against lies and deception. You're simply going to listen to whoever has the loudest microphone. And in our culture today, there's a bunch of people with microphones, with an ideology that goes back 60 years, but actually goes back to Karl Marx, but even back before that. And so in our academic academia, in the big tech, in um, social media, in the entertainment industry, all the same megaphone, all the same ideas. And if you don't know God's word, you're going to start to believe these people, whoever has the biggest megaphone, the people with power. In North Korea, somebody else is on a megaphone, and they're saying something totally different. Somebody in Afghanistan, something different. Somebody in China. Don't just believe whoever has the biggest megaphone. You've got to know, is the truth? And Jesus says, I'm truth. Uh, this a week and a half ago, my wife and I went to watch uh, Julia Rug, who uh, read scripture for this morning. She was in the play called um, The Wizard of Oz. Anybody? And she was in the play with her daughter. And uh, I have never watched The Wizard of Oz. You know, with Judy Garland? Never been into a play. I've seen Chitty, Chitty Bang Bang, you know, and Mary Poppins, but not The Wizard of Oz. And I didn't know the story, I didn't know the play. And um, I knew there was something about, you know, Yellow Brick Road. It's yellow, isn't it? Ye yellow Brick Road and tomorrow and tomorrow and, and that. And, and so I'm watching this play, and I'm just, I liked it. I was like, wow, this is really nice. But during the play, there was someone to my right ahead of me, and it was a guy, and during the play, he laughed. And every time he laughed, he'd tilt his head up toward the heavens, and he just bellow this laugh. And I found myself, I just, I loved it. It made my experience so much more enjoyable. So I started, and, and my, my wife, she saw me, I started watching the play, but I'm starting to look to try to catch this guy going back, right? Just trying to catch him laughing. There's a guy on the other side, and he's laughing too. But his laugh isn't as good as this guy's laugh. This guy is this deep. But it hit me during the play. 
I don't know that guy from Adam. Am I laughing at the right things? I'm basically at his mercy, right? If he laughs, okay, I'm going to laugh too. If you don't know, and I don't want to press this metaphor too far, but if you don't know the story of God as he's revealed it in Scripture, he created everybody, we've fallen and we're sinners, we need a Savior, Jesus died for us, and he's coming again to restore all things. If I don't know that play, if I don't get the word of truth into me and learning how to handle it better, I'm at the mercy of whoever. Oh, am I supposed to laugh now as I go through life? Oh, am I supposed to value that in life? Oh, am I supposed to believe that? And you're just at the mercy of whoever. So Paul says... Lots of false teaching going on. Jesus is the truth. His word is truth. You get into it. Put it into your heart. So growing in your faith, it takes work. It can't be passive. He then continues, and he's going to warn us about a few things. First, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. And avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Warn them about quarreling about words. So I'm warning you today, Woodside, stop quarreling about words. Why? Because it's of no value. In fact, it's even harmful. It ruins you and it ruins others. The words, Paul's not definitive, but it's the idea is, here's Jesus, here's the gospel, here's the truth, and words are things that ultimately um, don't matter. I, I believe myself that he's talking about kind of like secondary issues, other issues um, that we need to discuss, but we're not fighting about them, okay? So at Woodside, in a secondary matter that ultimately doesn't matter, you need to discuss and learn to understand the other side, learn to, to try to say, understand what the other person's saying, and you have civil discourse, but you keep the main thing the main thing. You keep the gospel, that's what you're about. All of these other issues, you don't start fighting about them. Can I give you an example? Everybody put on your, your seatbelts. We're going back to the pandemic. Mass, no mass. Vaccinations, no vaccinations. Church open, church closed. Christians, need to discuss issues like that. And by the way, there'll be another one coming. Just hold on. We need to discuss them, but we're listening to understand, but we're not making it the main thing. Because when we make it the main thing, we get distracted from the gospel. We stop listening to one another, and uh, we get defensive, and we get so emotionally engaged that there's more heat and less light. And uh, so that's why at Woodside, we didn't make it a big deal. It was important, but we didn't make it a big deal because we didn't want to lose the gospel. So do you see how that works? So if you're here and you're waiting for the next issue and you're going to go to war, stop it. Okay, he says, quarreling about words has no value and it ruins those who listen. And then he talks about uh, avoid godless chatter, avoid godless ideas. All this chatter, all of these ideas out there that aren't of God, he says... Um, it's addictive. You can indulge in it. He, he uh, points that out. And the result is that all of this godless chatter moves you away from God, not towards God. Uh, in the first century, Ephesus was a multicultural city. If you look at the Roman Empire, uh, you go on a map from the Great Britain in the west at its height to uh, Iran uh, in the east, 
Um, Ephesus was kind of in the middle. It was a multicultural city. And not only were goods and services being imported into this city, but ideas were coming into this city. Godless ideas, godless chatter. You had all of the godless ideas from, from the Greek pantheon of God and the Greeks who were saying there's lots of gods and then you had the Romans and they're tweaking that and oh, there's these gods. And then from the east, you got all the, the beliefs and ideas from the east converging there. And Paul says, Timothy, stick to the word of truth. Stick to the gospel. You don't need all these new ideas. They're not true. It's false teaching. And so if I'm in the first century and I'm a Christian, when I go to a bathhouse, you'd go to a bathhouse to get clean, but also to relax in a spa and a pool. Um, it was one of the very few things that were enjoyable in that culture. But you go to the bathhouse, you go to the marketplace, you go to the theater, godless chatter everywhere. Some new idea. I mean, why would you keep talking about the cross and the resurrection? Like, move beyond that. There's all these intriguing things. And in that day, it was the start of Gnosticism, uh, these myths and speculous, uh, uh, speculation about endless genealogies. And there was all this, the cross isn't enough. Jesus isn't enough. You've got to have this idea and that idea. It was intriguing. And before you know it, you could be caught up in all of these falsities. So Paul says, avoid that. Aren't you glad today that in the 21st century, we don't have any godless chatter? There's no godless ideas. On Twitter sphere today, you got more godless chatter than someone in, in Ephesus ever had, right? It's just all of these ideas, everybody's spouting what they believe, and often contradictory. Uh, so you're there, and you're just uh, on your computer or your phone, and you're clicking away. Oh, there's a neat idea about God, or there's a neat thing. And so what do you do? You click on it, and then you go to a YouTube video, right? And you click it and watch the video, some expert telling you something. And then YouTube sees that you like that, so they give you 10 others that you might like. And you look on the 10 others, oh, I'll try that one. And then the algorithm kicks in, here, we've got lots for you. Next thing you know, you're in some rabbit hole. Paul says, all of those godless ideas out there, Timothy, they don't hold water. Stick to the gospel, stick to the word of truth. And then he's going to talk about false doctrine or false teachers. So he said, there's all these, this godless teaching chatter out there. But then he's going to talk about the false teachers. Look what he says, verse 17. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed, notice this, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Paul compares false teaching to gangrene. Now, gangrene is tissue decay, and if you don't do something, it'll, it'll kill you. False teaching, if you don't do something, it will kill you. And Paul is saying, you've got to be active. You've got to be on guard against that. And he names the false teachers, Hymenaeus and Philetus. They've left the truth. And here's one of the ways they, one of their teachings that wasn't true. They're saying the resurrection has already taken place. In the first century, in Greek dualism, again, we talked about this in Creative Body series, the body is evil, the spirit, the soul is good, and uh, when you die, as your spirit, soul just goes, and your body, um, it, it, it's evil. It, it, nothing happens to it. You don't have a body. And in fact, since the body doesn't matter, go visit some prostitutes. Go do what you want to do. And so these two 
were bringing in false teaching about the body, about the resurrection. And Paul names them and says, that's wrong. That's a lie. Today, we don't have a Hymenaeus, Hymenaeus at a bathhouse or a theater saying something, but we have some other false teachers. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Netflix, Spotify. Now, those platforms are not necessarily wrong. They can be used for good. But on those platforms, you're going to find a lot of godless chatter. And if you aren't prepared, slowly you depart from the truth. Oh, I used to believe this about God. Used to believe this about the afterlife. Used to believe this about morality. But no, I believe this now. Slowly you drift. I want to ask you, who are you listening to? What are you listening to? Are you making a choice? That's not true. If I'm listening to a singer on Spotify and she, she or he is singing about something that contradicts God's word, I'm taking that up. I'm not listening to that singer. There's always consequences. Uh, as Christians, we need to be seekers of the truth. We need to be rational, use rational thinking, critical thinking. What's true? What's reality? And what's true? What lines up with reality? Is there one God? Is there a thousand gods? Is life about you and your family? Is life about something else? You've got to seek and pursue the truth. And just for young people, because you, you kind of get this in our culture, that if you're a Christian, it's just blind faith. But hey, we atheists here, we've thought things through. And uh, I'm sorry to tell you, like you can have your blind faith, but there's no God, right? If you go below the surface, you will find many intellectual people say, that it's actually the dis uh, exact opposite. The secular worldview, an atheist, it's very shallow. It's very shallow. You've got to be a seeker of the truth. You've got to be rational. What is true and what is and what lines up with reality? We're to love God with our minds. So blind faith, no. We don't, want, we don't want to teach our kids, hey, just believe because we said so. We want to say to our kids, look at what they say. Look what Jesus says. Let's compare who's telling the truth. Okay, we need to be thinking and active. I want to pause for a minute and talk about doubts. Is it okay to struggle with doubts? Yes, it is. Very much so. To believe means to be of one mind regarding the truth. To disbelieve is to be one, uh, of one mind uh, rejecting the truth. To doubt, it's a word for two. It's you're not sure if you believe or you don't believe. And so, is it okay to doubt? Yes, it is okay to doubt. Uh, if you look at Scripture, there were many uh, people who doubted certain things. Um, most uh, often it comes to mind is Thomas and doubting. But there's somebody else uh, that interacted with Jesus who doubted, and that's John the Baptist. Well, stop and think about John the Baptist for a moment. He's the forerunner of, of Jesus the Messiah, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then a little later, uh, the, the religious leaders confront him and it says, no, Jesus is God's chosen one. I mean, John, is, he's solid. He gets arrested, and he's awaiting execution, and suddenly he's not so sure about Jesus. Because we all know if you follow Jesus, everything's going to go great in your life. You'll never have any problems. 
but he's awaiting to be executed, and so he sends two of his friends and says, could you go and see if Jesus really is the Messiah? And so his friends, they go to Jesus. And Jesus, he doesn't shame John the Baptist. He doesn't bully John the Baptist. John the Baptist says doubts, and Jesus says, here, here's four or five things about the, the Messiah. Take this evidence and go back to John and help him to believe. And we too, that is to be our response. In the church, this needs to be a safe place where someone's struggling with, is the Bible true? Like, are these miracles really true? What about these contradictions? What about them being written late? You know, all of these things we hear. Or what about, is Christianity good? Oh, Christianity's oppressive. Christians hate people. Like, you, these doubts, this has got to be a safe place for doubts. And uh, Ian Barber, who is one of the uh, contributors to a book called Before You Lose Your Faith, if you're a young person, I'd recommend it, but Before You Lose Your Faith, and he talks about being raised in a Christian evangelical home, and then in time he started to look at scripture, and he was, you know, all the godless chattering, like, yeah, look at that, look at that, and then he saw Christians in politics, and they weren't acting like Christians, and he left the faith. He said, I don't want anything to do with Christianity ever again. We call it deconstruction story, and there's lots of them uh, today. It's not new. But he left the faith, but in time, he came back to Jesus. He tried alternative things, and he realized Jesus really is the truth. But he says to the church, he says, when you have people, and especially young people, and they have doubts, you don't dismiss them or give a shallow answer, and you're not harsh. You're like Jesus. You're saying, let's talk. Let's use our minds. Let's do the best. And I might not have all the answers, but let's try to, to, to um, uh, seek the truth together. If you're struggling with doubts, uh, can I encourage you to take a few steps? Again, you have to be active. You can't be passive. You can't be just like, well, I'm not sure I believe the Bible is true. I'm not sure Jesus really rose from the dead. Uh, if you're just passive with that and you don't seek the truth, if that's really true or not, it's like gangrene, false teaching. It'll just spread. Uh, so if you're struggling with those, number one, identify what it is you're, you're struggling about. Like, is it the Bible? Is it Christians? Is it a social issue? Identify uh, your doubts. Secondly, ask God to help you. Say, God, I, I believe you exist, but, but would you help me? I don't know what to believe here. I'm struggling. Third, there's a place to ask Christians. Why do you believe that? How come you believe that? And then fourth is you put on your work gloves and you're like, okay, uh, what's the truth? Is it this or that? And you read. I know for myself, when I was a young person in my 20s, again, I, I heard all the same things. Oh, the Bible is written a couple hundred years later, and it's fables and myths. And then you start actually dive into it, and you realize it's not written like a fable or a myth. In fact, it's written the opposite. And there's scholars who are like pointing this out. No, it's not a fable or a myth. You have to do some work. Um, you can't just be passive. So if you're passive, it'll infect you. Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, avoid that godless chatter. Avoid false teaching. And then he, he goes on to say this uh, to Timothy. And by the way, is anybody down a bit here? Like, oh boy, culture and, you know. Okay, 2 Timothy's not the funnest book, right? right? But notice what Paul says in verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. You can have eight billion people saying eight billion different things about reality. But Paul says, in, at the end of the day, 
God's truth, it stands. And God's people, because in 1 Timothy 3.15, his first letter, he refers to the church, God's people, as the pillar and foundation of the living truth. So, in other words, Timothy, yeah, there's a lot of people, and it's, it can be so disheartening. But guess what, Timothy? God's foundation stands. You just be faithful to Jesus. Jesus said something similar in uh, Matthew chapter 7 after his Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've got to choose a foundation, what you're building your life on. You can build it on me. You hear what I am. I'm the truth. You build it on me, and you put my words into practice. You're building on the rock. Your foundation's solid. You're good. Or you can build it on sand. You can build it on, not on me. And so that's a call for all of us. You can follow this person and that person and what they believe, but please know at the end of the day, according to Jesus, your foundation is all coming and crashing down. And without Jesus, secular worldview, there is no hope. There is nothing. So we all have to make the choice. Paul says, Timothy, I've seen the risen Jesus. His foundation, the foundation of truth, it is firm. And then he talks about it being sealed with this inscription, sealed in, in the Bible has the idea of ownership. God's got it. The Lord knows those who are his. Timothy, yeah, there's a lot of false teachers, but at the end of the day, God knows those who are his. And then he says, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Again, he's going back to our responsibility to grow in our faith that we are to turn from not only godless chatter, but godless living. He then goes on to talk about being an instrument, that you're, 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 you're turning to God. God, I want to live for you so he can use you as an instrument. He talks about uh, fleeing from youthful lust, from, from greed and lust and, and uh, anger and impatience. Again, you're not perfect, but you're like, Lord, I don't want to be that person. Lord, help me. And you're pursuing the things of Jesus, uh, love and peace and faith along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, that you're in a community of other Christians who are supporting you and are with you. Um, he then shares with Timothy these words. He comes back to his central idea here in the letter. He says in verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Again, keep the gospel. Jesus, keep him the main thing. All of these other things these stupid and foolish arguments, don't get involved in them because it just presents quarrels. And then he says this to Timothy and he says this to you and me. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are not to be quarrelsome. You are not to go around always looking for a fight, always trying to prove to people that you're right. You know, you just, you've got your arms closed. Oh, you believe that about that? You're aggressive, you're antagonistic, you want to pick a fight. Now, if you have a personality that's kind of leans that way, how many of you? Come on now. There's a few of you, right? You need to be aware, self-aware when, oh, I'm starting to get worked up here. But you're not to go around always looking for a fight. And then he says, you're not to, to be resentful. Now, how can you not be resentful when someone in, in, say, a discussion, someone at work, someone in your extended family, somewhere, and they say something that's false about you or not true about you or hurtful to you, you're not to be resentful. In other words, you're to absorb pain from that aggressive opponent, opponent without lashing back, without losing your temper. Instead, 
you're to be kind, just like Jesus, kind, gentle. It's strength under control. Again, it's not simply being nice. You know, I'm just going to be a nice person. No, you lead with grace, and then you speak truth. So I'm not just going to, there's a place to confront, and, and, but I'm going to do it graciously. Instead of coming to you like this over an issue or something, I'm coming to you like this. I want, I want to work towards peace and a resolution. And we're not going to be able to do this as followers of Jesus until we understand, we correctly handle the word of truth. When you realize that God is grace and God is sovereign, that will help you as you interact with people and false teaching and different ideas, right? God is grace. God doesn't come to you and say, hey, you're not living the way you should live. I don't like you. God comes to you with his arms open and says, I want a relationship with you. I sent my son to die on a cross for you. I love you. And yes, you're not perfect, but I want you to be mine. And when you realize, wait a second, before the beginning of time, God chose me, then you go with your arms open to other people. And you're free to be gracious because you don't have to prove anything. Similarly, when you understand God is sovereign, that he governs over everything on a macro level and a micro level, everything in your life, not one thing happens to you, not one person says something to you that he's not in control of. When you understand his sovereignty, then it frees you to try to get the other person to see your point of view, to prove you're right, to win the argument. Do you know as Christians, we're not called to win arguments. We're called to contend for the faith, but we're not there to beat people up. That's, that, that's not our job. We don't care about winning arguments. We care about people's souls. And that's what Paul alludes to in verse 25. He says this, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Notice, who's the one that changes a person? It's God. Maybe that's the one thing in this message you need to hear, that you can't change anybody. Just reminding you of that today. Think of maybe someone in your extended family or think of someone at work. Think of someone that's very difficult and you want a better relationship but it's just not happening. Can you say right now, I can't change fill in the blank. And say, God, you are sovereign, so I'm free to be gracious. I'm free um, uh, of, of all of trying to prove stuff. Opponents must be gently instructed so that God can work in their lives. And then he noted, notices this, that so that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil. Come to their senses, it has the idea of sober up. They've been drunk on all of these uh, ideas, this godless chatter, they've been um, false teaching, that they'll come to their senses. I was, I was reading this article yesterday, and it just reminded me of this. Uh, there was a couple, and they served in ministry, and the, and the uh, woman decided she was going to go on her own and, and, and made some choices. And uh, by the way, if you're kind of, again, we're not always, we're not whining against culture, but we're, we're aware of culture. But in culture, if you're like, I'm a Christian, I believe the Bible, you're not going to get a lot of press, a lot of way to go. She left the ministry to promote a, what we call, self-gospel. The world likes to fit it. It's about you. It's about me. It's about, you know, I do this, I do that. And she built up a multimedia empire. She's written books. They've sold, like, millions of copies. She uh, has, uh, like, I don't know how many, uh, over a million, but probably more than that, followers on Instagram. 
And she bought into the godless chatter. She bought in, in a sense, the godless living, not doing what God wanted her to do. And when she did that, red flags went up. Christians were like, whoa, this is, she's not holding to the truth. She's departed from the truth. Red flags. And now years later, guess what? It's been crumbling down. Many have turned against her, and what she's done has caused certain things to happen. And even her tragedy that she's experiencing now, she's putting a positive spin on it without God. And when I read that yesterday, I was just like, what do we do as Christians? Do we clap and say, you left the truth. You had it coming. I'm glad you got what you, you know. No, but for the grace of God, that's you and me. And we're saying, oh God. And I said a prayer for her. Help her to come to her senses. Help her to come back to Jesus. Help her to preach that gospel, not the gospel of self. So today I want to ask you as we close, with your faith, with your spiritual health, are you passive? Because if you are, you're going to be, it's like gangrene. False teaching will spread. Next thing you know, five years from now, you're not going to church. You're not sure what you believe. Or are you seeking the truth? opening God's word. And Lord, I want to know you more. I'm going to invite you to stand as we pray. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, today we bow before you. You are truth. We bow before your word. It is the word of truth. Lord, help us as a congregation here would decide not to depart from your truth, but that we would stand on it. We thank you that your truth is good for us, that we have a hope and a future, and that you've called us to do good and to be loving. We thank you. We praise you for the truth. I pray for Woodside, that we would go deeper and that we would correctly handle it. For the person here today, Father, or online, that just doesn't know how to get into the Bible, I'm praying in the days ahead that you will help them to learn more and more about the Bible, learn more and more about you. And Lord, I pray too for the person here that has doubts about their faith. God, I'm asking you to work in their hearts and their minds. Help them to seek the truth, Lord, because if we seek the truth, you've promised that we will find you. So I pray for those doubting in their faith. We thank you for your word, and we pray it in your name. Amen.